everyone, and welcome to our jet fuel trade route discussions. So in this series, we will be talking about some of the key trade routes across the globe, and we'll be discussing three of the main trade flows, Middle East to Europe, Asia to the U.S. West Coast, um, and U.S. Gulf Coast to, to Latin America. This podcast episode is brought to you by Argus Media, which many of you may already know. We are a leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. My name is Louise Burke. I'm the Vice President of Aviation here at Argus. And with me today is Alex Janovich, the Global Head of Argus Freight. Hi, Alex. Hello, Louise. Thanks for having me. We're excited to hear your insights. Um, So let me just kick it off and and, uh, ask you to give us some perspective. We know that we have global trade flows. We have key regional prices for jet, Singapore, Northwest Europe, and Gulf Coast that are affected by these trade flows. So could you comment on um, the general freight flows and how they may impact um, on this market? Sure, that would be my pleasure. Well, you know, we do live in a scary and uncertain world right now, and this reflects on the commodities and the freight markets, which includes jet, of course, and its transportation and tankers. So uh, I think it's worth mentioning by the way straight away that Argus is now producing a weekly infographic map uh, highlighting prime trade routes for jet, which uh, combines the prices for jet fuel, the key prices that you mentioned, and the clean tanker freight on the respective uh, arbitrages and it's free which is always great and we encourage listeners to check it out by following the link in the description or by uh, contacting Argus and the reason why we're doing this of course is just as you mentioned is because the freight uh, rates and the commodity prices including jet has a great uh, synergy between each other and the arbitrages are affected by both of those forces. Great. Uh, looking forward to it. I've, I've seen um, the original map, and I think that its weekly updates are really going to provide some really good information for leading price signals for the marketplace. So let's talk about some of the specific regions. Um, about Europe. We know that in Europe that you've seen some, over the years, rationalization of refineries, and we're in the middle of a crisis with COVID-19, and we think that this may actually present more, it is presenting more challenges for smaller, older, and simpler refineries. We know jet fuel is imported from the Middle East and Asia. Uh, Can you comment on tanker traffic into Europe um, related to those regions? Of course. Well, in terms of the uh, traffic or the vessels coming in, it is, uh, let's say, a usual breakdown, which largely depends on the origin of the cargo and the biggest volume is carried by long range one and long range two tankers uh, which um, typically carry cargoes of 65,000 tons and 90,000 tons respectively and the overwhelming majority of uh, long range tankers bringing cargoes to Europe come from the Middle East and there's no real surprise there still as European refineries are rationalizing like you said the refining capacity in the Middle East is only expanding and when it comes to medium range tankers which carry another big load of jet to Europe uh, and uh, usually it's around 37 38000 ton cargoes now those flows are relatively even between uh, coming from the Middle East US Gulf Northwest Europe and Mediterranean Now, in terms of volumes, I'm afraid we haven't seen an actual uptick of jet imports to Europe yet, despite the um, rationalization of refineries. 
In fact, according to data from Vertexa, and actually look at their screen right now, uh, the jet flows to Europe so far in August have ticked down from July and June levels. And it is actually by a considerable amount. So we're down from around 1.3 million tons in July to around 820,000 tons in August. And that's probably around 35, 37% drop. So that actually makes me wonder uh, what is happening on the demand side here. So actually it would be nice if you provided some, uh, you know, much needed light on that. Yeah, it's a really interesting situation, Alex. And so, of course, not only tanker rates and product movement affect jet, but what refineries uh, essentially do with their refinery maintenance and turnarounds do as well. So in the spring, we actually saw a lot of product movement in going into Europe in March and April, even with the tremendous demand destruction. Uh, so we saw um, inventories fill up very quickly. And then in the summer months, we actually did see some resurgence of jet fuel demand, um, primarily based on leisure travel, not business travel. But now we're seeing as we move into the late summer and fall that, in fact, uh, those numbers are, are estimated by a number of organizations, including ourselves, to uh, continue to move downwards because business travel is not picking up. And of course, your summer vacation seasons is starting to, to um and so I think that may account for um, some of those changes uh, in um, demand and in your imports into Europe simply because of the, the demand destruction that we've already had uh, and likely to continue for the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm counting my uh, frequent flyer miles and I'm not yeah. liking what I'm saying. So, Don't worry, yeah. next year we, we expect a much more rosier picture. <laughs> Let's hope. Can you comment... Um, on how freight rates and freight movements may happen, for example, going to U.S. West Coast and Latin America. Do, do you see a lot of tanker flows moving in that direction? Yes, uh, indeed, there is a strong flow of jet coming to Americas from the Far East. Uh, mostly we're talking South Korea here, much less Japan, and uh, most of it lands um, uh, in the uh, West Coast of South, uh, West Coast of North America. Uh, there is a little bit coming uh, then further through the Panama Canal to the to the Atlantic side, but a considerably considerably smaller amount. Now, most of the Asian product that reaches the Americas comes on MR tonnage, uh, and uh, there is some coming on LR ones, but considerably less. And uh, actually, when it comes to uh, crossing the canal, for, exam for example, it's not an issue because it can accommodate both uh, vessel sizes. So uh, if uh, on, on occasion we do have a vessel crossing to that side, there is no real need for lightering before and after uh, for those few Asian product cargoes that make their way to the Atlantic coast of Americas. Uh, on Mexico's West Coast, for example, you do see a lot of multiple discharges because of draft limitations of storage capacity constraints at the major ports there. Uh, and oftentimes you'll have an, a medium-range tanker make three or four stops along Mexico's Pacific Coast before completely discharging. And this may happen on West Coast of Central America as well. Uh, but again, this is uh, less 
of uh, like you know a trend the majority just goes to the US west coast and the funny part about that is when you think about how the flows work or how the uh, ves vessels go uh, on the on the arbitrages is that uh, ship owners not necessarily when they uh, have their vessels arrive to the US west coast would immediately ballast their vessels back to Asia so you would uh, sometimes have them actually uh, going to uh, Mexico or, or going to load a uh, reposition and maybe load the cargo in US Gulf Coast. And for example, if it's a repositioning play, then you might even have considerably lower freight rates for those vessels below the market, uh, just so um, you know the vessels just want that business to reposition and engage a different market, which maybe they uh, find to be more appealing at the time. So, you know, good, good points that you made there. And I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to hear overall, as you look at the main fundamental factors that affect freight, you know, is it is it weather? We had just had Hurricane Laura. Uh, are there other factors that you think um, are key um, to uh, that do impact on freight prices, freight movements? Can you just give us a, a your your sort of top down approach on that? I think it's fair to say that, and that's probably not. A very good opinion for like us uh, who like to see you know deep uh, into the numbers and to the supply and demand fundamentals and so on. But really, what we keep seeing in this uncertain world of ours, especially in 2020, is that geopolitics often rule the day here. So all like unusual, let's call them force major events like COVID-19. So that's what creates the massive spikes uh, on ups and downs in freight. Something that shifts the fundamentals uh, drastically without any healthy processes behind that. So I'd say that nothing uh, can affect uh, the freight rates, just as commodity prices, by the way, more than uh, you know sudden geopolitical events. Uh, now, in terms of when it does come uh, to fundamentals, the prime factors are still uh, the uh, shifts in uh, supply and demand. For demand, that again is very much tied into the commodity prices. So in terms of whether certain arbitrages are open or not. And uh, the reason why I'm talking arbitrages is because tanker demand is actually not as simple as just the volume of cargo which needs to be transported. It's uh, something that's called tonmile demand, which it means the cargo volume multiplied by distance. So the longer is the distance between the buyer and the seller, the better it is for the demand for tankers because that vessel performing the voyage is out of the market for a longer period of time. And uh, long haul arbitrages, like for example, long range uh, jet uh, um, cargoes coming from the Middle East to Europe, are very good for uh, the demand. Or again, uh, medi medium range tankers on transatlantic voyages or transpacific voyages, again, uh, good thing, good things for uh, uh, the tanker demand. Now, when it comes to, uh, to supply, I'd say that long term, or at least mid uh, mid mid term. Uh, there is an oversupply of vessels still in the clean tanker market, which means too many vessels for the amount of demand we have, especially with the amount uh, uh, demand destruction. So we shouldn't see any considerable spikes in freight unless there is, God forbid, another wave of COVID or another geopolitical event to go with it. Okay, great. Um, really interesting. And Hurricane Laura, can you just give us a perspective on what you thought 
uh, that impact was. I know it was a very fast moving hurricane, did have big impact on the Gulf Coast, but I'd uh, love to hear your, your view on that. Sure. Well, you know, any such event like disruptions uh, due, to, due to weather generally are good for ship owners because it's uh, either increases the, the uh, short term chartering demand as people want to stock up on certain things like we've seen due to uh, Hurricane Laura, there was, you know, a boost to the transatlantic MR rates, which and in considerable boost where we had, uh, for, for example, the UK gone to US Atlantic coast rising by about 50 um, uh, percent. And uh, th this was due to people just rushing in with the gasoline cargoes. And of course, if you have uh, the MR rates rising uh, due to any commodity movement, it affects other uh, products as well, like jet or diesel, uh, diesel and so on. But this is a short-lived effect because, again, the ports uh, are already opening after the hur Hurricane Laura, and uh, we already see this uh, effect on the rates. So now that we see that there is no lasting impact, uh, charters held back some of the cargoes, let the market cool, cool off, and now the rates are uh, going back to their, let's say, um, healthy levels again, or something which is more due to normal demand and supply balance. Yeah, no, really interesting. You can clearly see that, the, as you said, weather, geopolitics, all of these are, are key for uh, understanding uh, what impacts on, on the freight market. Uh, just a final question, I and mean, I'm kind of shifting gears from the conventional fossil fuels to the renewable fuels. And so we started to see increasing trade in renewable fuels as the appetite to produce clean energy by corporations and governments continues um, as climate change initiatives continue. Can you provide a perspective on how this product is shipped? I'm really curious, and how does it differ between clean product tankers and renewable fuels like vegetables? Sure. When it comes to things like uh, vegetable oils, uh, so we're talking here palm oil, soybean oil, use cooking oil. Um, it uh, those things usually need to be transported on IMO two class tankers. We, uh, there are three three main classes there: IMO one, IMO two, and IMO three. And IMO one is usually reserved for some extremely dan dangerous cargo, so like industrial chemicals or acids, which can eat through pretty much anything. And uh, when it comes to uh, veg vegetable oil, which is moderately hazardous, it can be carried on uh, IMO two tankers. And a lot of this is on chemical tankers, which are smaller than normal uh, clean uh, petroleum product tray uh, tankers, which carry CPP products. Or, petroleum products but uh, some of that business is also carried on normal clean tankers because they do uh, do have that IMO2 standard and when it comes to that trade that then it's slightly different from the normal uh, clean product trade because um, of the nature of the cargo so let's say it's considered by the market to be a dirtier cargo. So if you have uh, veg vegetable oil as your last cargo in a tanker, you would have to do some, you know, proper washing after it because it can contaminate, let's say, your next gasoline uh, cargo after that. So if you had this as your last cargo history, you're likely need to have it uh, to give a discount to the charter to be competitive against other ships which have their last cargo history to be let's say uh, gasoline or jet for instance and similarly if you uh, want the ship owner to transport a cargo like vegetable oil then you likely to have to pay him a little premium 
because of that potential opportunity loss or loss or freight of a few world scale points that the ship owner will have to incur after he comes back from that voyage. So in that respect, the dynamics for carrying vegetable oil are different. But again, worth noting here that it depends on how strong the freight market is, right? So if it's a strong freight market and the ship owners are in a driving seat, then you might see those um, premiums be considerably higher, right? So it comes from a few world scale points to, you know, uh, more, uh, more like let's say five, 10, dep depending on how strong it is. But in the very weak freight market, sometimes you might not get a premium at all or get a very small one, which doesn't really change much, right? So it's again comes down to negotiating power. No, that's really interesting. And, and, and of course, we know that renewable fuels are definitely the way of the future. It's, uh, and maybe these costs will come down um, longer term. But, but thanks, Alex, um, for your great insights. We certainly appreciated it. I learned a lot. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, please be sure to tune in for the other episodes in this mini-series. And for more information on the Argus Global Jet Fuel coverage, please visit argusmedia.com forward slash jet dash fuel. Thank you.